All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply. All the links for all the things, buddywalkwithjesus.com, as well as down in the episode description. And look, like we talked about last week, if you guys find value in all this, in in exploring the scriptures, exploring the realities of everyday life um, in the kingdom, you know, share the show with a friend, let people know what's going on here. Um, it helps bring people to the table to have some raw conversation and by the grace of God, um, grow closer to him. Just a little update for you prayer warriors that are in prayer for the Buddy Walk community. Um, I did hear from some of you guys over in Germany. Um, the The invitation is still out. If there's if there's more of you that haven't reached out yet, feel free to reach out. Joe at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. You know, it's it's really interesting that the Buddy Walk community is is as diverse. As it is, there's so many different countries represented, some more than others, and it's always my desire to know how how can my words, how can my actions, how can my prayers best serve you guys. So like I said, Joe at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com, and last but certainly not least, if you are in need of prayer, prayer at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. So something interesting happened last week over the last couple of weeks i've been running kind of uh for for my musician friends out there a side a and a side b of a lot of the conversations that we've been having across buddy walk and kingdom on the road the friday morning live show that i do with some other guys and last week it was about obedience, right? If you listened in to um, the the podcast last week, it was about the freedom of obedience, and that's off putting. And I and I knew going into it that anytime the word obedience is around, that it is naturally off putting. And boy, do the analytics prove the point. <laughs> Um, just being honest about it and and just being honest about a conversation that I had off the air before jumping into this week's conversation and the start of the subsequent conversations, you know, it's daunting sometimes. You guys have heard me do the bit about how I'll never be the most articulate, I'll never be the smartest dude in the room, I might be smarter than the average bear, but... My goal is to be a catalyst for raw, authentic conversations that lead people to a deeper relationship with Jesus. That's the point, right? And so exploring more of these academic concepts and talking about things like obeying the rules and all of that kind of stuff, it feels foreign to me and to kind of what this show is about and what I bring to the show and all of those kinds of things. And to so, and so to see that is a little off-putting from diving into some of the more studious things. And you couple that with the fact that if you remember, this 
this whole summer long conversation, kind of stripping it back to the thesis statement of Buddy Walk with Jesus, started with the guys from Your Church Friends because they were talking about Jude and it really caught my attention. I was also, I also happened to be following along with um, the Naked Bible podcasts walk through Jude. And so I was getting a lot of Jude and I thought it was interesting. And they, they really emphasized this idea of the cooperation of love and studiousness, that it's not an either or and how we approach people matters and all of those kinds of things. And I'm like, yes, because there's a very big part of me that really does advocate for understanding the nuts and bolts of the historicity of the claims that the Bible makes and really diving into the minutia of the text itself because that, guys, shines a more well-rounded look on the wonderful, majestic character of God, the unchanging God, right? And that's the gimmick. That's the idea. And I've been trying to convey that we, I understand that there is a temptation to look at people who are more studiously minded and, and look at them like, you know, oh, are you going to, are you going to get legalistic on me? Or are you just going to, is this just going to be dry and boring? And how does this, this, um, apply to my life and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and there, there can be this natural apprehension also coupled with the fact that, you know what, I am as much a product of the system as I know a lot of you are that are stateside, that are a part of the Buddy Walk community. And that is that we have either gotten dry, distilled down into an insurance policy, hellfire and brimstone scare tactics, or we've gotten, I don't know, a glass of water with a hint of Bible, maybe. You know what I mean? Like that super watered down sort of thing. And and varying shades. And I know there's so there's again Baskin Robbins. This this one's this one's Burger King, guys. You can have it your way. Um so I know that when when you dump when you jump too far into this too fast, there's this natural um polarization that takes place. Some people really dig this sort of thing. Some people don't. And so, uh, recently I put out a poll within the community. I put it up on Facebook and I reached out to, um, to, to, to some of the international pockets of the community and, and asked the question, you know, I reference Matthew five through seven a lot. Would it be helpful for context if I either, if I unpacked Matthew 5 through 7, but I also gave the option of would it be helpful if I unpacked the book of Matthew in the same kind of way that if you're familiar with one of the live shows that I do, The Whole Truth, in that same vein of walking through at a reachable level, at an application layer level, through the lens of the kingdom of God. And overwhelmingly, I heard do the whole book 
Now again, <laughs> it's it's daunting because I'm I, I, I if I'm just being honest with you guys, sometimes it can feel like if you are the person who's talking about un, and, and unpacking the academic side, you're just waiting for somebody who's smarter than you to come through with their theological boomstick and tell you and outline all of the reasons why you're wrong and and all of those kinds of things. So I'm just keeping it real, guys. That, that those are the kinds of things that I struggle with when it's time to belly up to the academic bar. You know what I mean? When it's time to really mix it up and get your hands dirty in the actual source material, it's so tempting to find reasons why not. And especially, like I said, coming off of the heels of that episode, like bombing, (laughs) like just, just straight up bombing. Uh, it, it is tempting to not to not go there and to stay more conversational and not jump into the source material. But guys, so much of what I've been talking about over the summer is outlined here. The book of Matthew is not the first uh, was not the first gospel to be written, g- generally accepted amongst the 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 academic community. Um, but it's it's arranged first. For a reason, you will find that in the book of Matthew, in comparison to the rest of the gospel accounts, as well as Acts, it uses kingdom of heaven um, language a lot more than uh, kingdom of God. And each one of the four unpacks different specific notes, right? If you ask four people to tell you the same story, each one is going to highlight reflective of themselves, their personality traits, their occupations, you know, what stood out to them about Jesus and so on and so forth. And you see a lot of personality in each one of the gospel accounts and in the book of Matthew you get painted the picture of Christ as king there's a lot of king language kingly language in there in in reference to Jesus and one of the things that I've talked a lot about over on and off the air but specifically over the summer is the wonder of our relationship with God, right? That that we should stand in awestruck wonder of of the the narrative that we are a part of, right? It's not our story, but we're a part of it. And and there is something awestriking about all of that. If we push our ta- if we push our chips on the table and say I believe this. Yes, I believe. There's we we are we are there there's so much involved in that there's so much then take a step back and what you're and and take stock of what it is that you believe and so the book of matthew does a very good job of tapping into that in a way that some of the others don't and and all of them are true all of them are good but this is why for me this particular gospel account is so resonant in a way that some of the others aren't for me. And that's the beauty of scripture, right? 
when we start to take stuff out and cherry pick and this and that, it, it that's that's where the the cart goes off the rails. But when we can do this in context, but also do this in a way that's that's rich and life life giving, and 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 you you get engrossed in the story and all of those kinds of things, then then we can we can really benefit from spending time in the text and not trying to take it into something that it's not or or missing the the vibrant nature of it when you look at the entirety of scripture within context in its full incomplete narrative that will always be something just because we are highlighting this does not mean that i am in any way shape or form advocating only taking portions of scripture take the entire thing but again i fundamentally believe that this is something that can benefit everybody to understand that love and academics love and rules love and procedure all of these things are all part of the same greater whole right it's it's not about isolating the particulars it's about bringing them all together and so that's the idea here as we walk through the book of matthew Guys, I don't want this to just be another Bible study. I want you guys to walk through this with me prayerfully, prayerfully, easy for me to say, and purposefully. It's not about me espousing my knowledge base or trying to tell you what the scriptures say. It's about us walking through this portion of scripture together and unpacking it together so i'm going to set a couple of parameters um before we jump into the text i'm going to be bouncing back and forth between two translations the main translation that i'm going to be reading from is going to be the esv i am also going to be jumping over to periodically the amplified bible classic edition um this is a translation that was recently brought to my attention from Ant, and this is one that, while I wouldn't want to go through the entirety of the book reading from, um, especially once we get to 5 through 7, there are, man, does this add some salt and pepper to the conversation, because it is trying to go past the... Um, specific word for word concept of the translation into um re revealing what's happening in the situation revealing some of the nuance points past just specifically focusing on linguistics speaking of linguistics I disclaimer here at the top, I am not a biblical linguistics expert. You are going to hear me very authentically attempt but struggle with some names and some words. Um, have some grace. If you are a linguistics expert, if there are any resources that would help with this that you guys know of, joe at buddywalkwithjesus.com, I'm always happy to hear about new resources to be more um, accurate and respectful to the text. 
there's no specific timetable in place of how long this is going to take or the pacing or what have you. I figure we'll take it as it comes. So jumping into the material, we start off, Matthew, with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And raise of hands, raise of hands, show of hands. How many people, when they read the Bible at a particular point in life, you know, it's easy to say something like when you were a kid, but I've done this as an adult too, where you see something like the genealogy and you're like, yeah, okay, let me, let me get to the, let me get to the meat and potatoes sort of thing. This is, I don't need this prologue sort of thing. And yes, I understand the flaws of that mindset, but just being honest about that mindset. I remember when I was in youth group, uh, I was one of the prerequisites for a trip was to read, I think it was 33 books of the Bible. And I found Jude and I'm like, I'm just going to read Jude 33 times. Does that count? So, um, I, I absolutely was, was guilty of this. So we jump off with the genealogy and I would suggest if this is something that you have a hard time uh, I'm going to say visualizing, but like being able to translate it into readable terms from blocks of just text, father of, father of, father of, that if it's kind of, if bullet point form works better for you, then visually I would look up the Amplified uh, Classic Edition for this one because they have it they have a lot of the um surrounding text eliminated and they just go beat for beat for beat for beat and for some people i imagine that would be more useful at this point in my life i appreciate all of the context for everything and the way that this is kind of telling a reader's digest version of the story but just making that resource aware so we are this there is a very specific line that is being drawn here with this particular rendition of the genealogy of Jesus and we we are meant to see the connection that Christ has and in it's interesting how often you're going to hear son of David in this particular um set of scriptures specifically matthew so let's go ahead chapter one or yeah chapter one verse one the book of the genealogy of jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham abraham was the father of isaac and isaac the father of jacob and jacob the father of judah and his brothers and judah the father of Perez and Zariah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. 
I do find it interesting that there's a break in paragraph at David. I don't know. I know that the um, the way that the Bible is situated was not, for those of you that don't know, was not originally how it was intended. There wasn't chapter verse markers. That's for study. All of that kind of stuff. But it just, in, in my mind, it makes complete and total sense. We got to David. There's, there's a paragraph break. But I digress. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconia, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Another situated paragraph break. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconia was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, to the Christ, 14 generations. Just one of those interesting things. I don't, I have read differing um, thought processes about what that means and if that's anything to make note of for future things and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not necessarily going to spend any kind of measurable time there, but it almost feels like you know, ignoring something if you don't talk about the fact that it was 14, 14, and 14. And also, if I, if, if my speech impediment having self can get in front of the microphone and say all of those names, just, just go in the peace and strength of the Father. And if you speak these things, I'm not saying everybody needs to start a YouTube channel or a podcast, but if you speak these things, and you fall on your face, just get back up. Just just keep doing it. Even uh, uh, the, the, the scriptures have power even in the messiest of presentation. So anyway, um, so we, we see the, the lineage from, from Abraham to Christ. And understanding the power of reading this full genealogy really came into a much more vivid view for me 
when I went through, first off, went cover to cover, right? At least had a baseline for what happens in the Old Testament that leads up to the New Testament and what happens in a post-death, burial, and resurrection world. And that at least gives the framework in which these the the this list of people is fits right it gives context to that and then from there what really made this come alive for me was diving into the history of it all right going through and doing some some study and some due diligence about the historical proof text that we have for the Old Testament. That is extra biblical. It's not. It's not a matter of uh, the the Bible being the only thing that corroborates the historical evidence of these the, these people groups existing at the time that they existed, and so on and so forth. And so understanding those two pieces together really serves as a reminder that what this is doing is outlining a list of people who were real that actually walked this earth, that were there in the midst of the surrounding circumstances and the situations and the goings-on and all of those kinds of things, and still the bloodline continued. You know, I, I talk a lot about free will and the fact that i really i do fundamentally believe that's the secret sauce behind this whole thing is free will why all of this makes sense it doesn't make everything pretty but it makes things make sense but we have to remember that jesus was never plan b it was never a matter of god created creation with the idea that it would never choose against him with its free will and then oh man now as a as a reaction to humans messing up now jesus that was never the idea and and so unpacking all of that and talking about all of that and really diving into all of that is its own conversation and not necessarily the point here it's just the idea to set the table that in these handful of verses that are just saying father of father of father of this comes with it the weight of the pretext of who abraham was to who jesus was and the history there in between and a last note there before we move on, I know that there are some of you that have reached out to me that struggle with understanding the really extraordinary claims that the Bible makes and being able to trust in the validity of the scriptures. I'm not saying that history is the magic bullet because... I really do believe in the divine revelation of who Jesus is. 
But I will tell you that fortifying that supernatural experience with the concrete of apologetics, understanding that God is real because this makes sense, because that's what the evidence says, um, is is very really very helpful. So um, apologetics is not a dirty word, and it doesn't mean that suddenly you need to close yourself off to any kind of supernatural or anything like that. Much the opposite. It it serve they they serve each other. It's not an either or. So continuing on, we are moving we move from the genealogy into um starting the birth account, right? And this is something where we are in um October, you know, early October and we are very nearly, if you have not already, going to start seeing the snowflakes and the Santa Clauses of it all and the Christmas music, at least here in America. I'm actually really curious to hear from the rest of you guys. Again, Joe at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. Uh, I, I would love to hear what what the the onset of the holiday season, Advent season, whatever what that looks like for you guys, but you know, for we're going to start seeing the, the, the things and we're going to start hearing about the manger story. And, you know, I know that's, that's kind of a a story that gets told from the pulpit a lot around December. Um, But I do think that there is power in situating this in the months before, uh, because if, if we look at this heading into Christmas, Having the idea of, yes, we celebrate the birth of the Savior within the context of Jesus' life and death and the whole implication and the kingdom of God and the whole picture, right? Which serves to highlight the beauty of the, 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 the nativity scene, if you will. You know. So let's jump back in. We're in uh, verse 18. Again, still in chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name 
Jesus. Okay. Quick little side note. Once you read through Matthew, go back and read through Isaiah. Isaiah is a lot thicker of weeds than Matthew is. I'll be the first one to admit it. It is it is dark in places. It is situated at a time where they are looking ahead to the coming king. And and there's a lot of dark days now sort of thing going on. And that the the reflections are really interesting within the context of leading into Christmas, leading into celebrating the birth of the Savior, celebrating all of those things. And and in a time where that is emphasized, understanding what the time before him and then and then plugging that into the context of where we sit on the timeline. Christ has come. We live in the current kingdom. Christ has not yet come back. And we wait. And it's interesting to to look at to look at the, the junction points in in history. So just a little side note there. But we see here that a lineage of the house of David is contacted, if you will. And I think it's worth noting what the Bible speaks of Joseph, right? I I was keyed in on that word just, and I looked it up in the Strong's. It's entry 6664 in the Strong's Tessedek. And it's also uh, righteousness or rightness. Um, and it's interesting that this word is being used to describe Joseph, that he is from the house of David, from the line of David. And he himself is, a, is considered a just man, a righteous man. That coupled with the legal lineage that we just went through that gives Jesus claim to the throne of David, right? Typically, you would look to a bloodline lineage for that sort of thing. But legally speaking, because of Joseph, that lineage, that genealogy is put into place, thus fulfilling that part of prophecy and we'll see continued to be unpacked this picture of the people that Mary and Joseph were and that is also important and it's worth noting that as you continue on through the New Testament you're going to see a very specific point raised to not quarrel over genealogies that it's not the point of highlighting the genealogy, but prophecy is what it is when you're talking about Jesus. And so fulfilling that prophecy is the idea here, not lording a specific genealogy. All right, so jumping into chapter two, it's important to make a note that we are now entering into a part of the nativity story that is 
contested. Um, there's a lot of different people who have a lot of different perspectives on what the specifics of this looked like, who these specific people were, so on and so forth. Honestly, there's some really interesting conversations to to be had, um, but we are tackling this as part of the overall rather than camping in the uh, nativity story. Maybe we'll double back and, and do a more detailed, have a more detailed look at the nativity story. But just understand that in the context of Matthew, Matthew is giving us more of a picture of where Jesus came from for, for specifics of the nativity scene we can look to Luke for that. So let's go ahead and jump back in. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son then Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old 
or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. There are so many prophetical points that are satisfied through Jesus. And it's really fascinating when you look at the whole picture of what prophecy says and, and when we can we can date this back to and all of those kinds of things and understanding that these were scripture, these were words, these were handed down and these would have been in the hands of some of the people at the time where Jesus is alive. And we are seeing so many of these points that fulfilled that the statistical probability of that taking place is just absurd. It's just honestly ridiculous. And that's part of what I get at when I talk about the whole apologetics thing. Like, let's take a step back and reasonably and logically take a look at this and and really take a look at this with an open mind because a lot of times that context is given in a sense of let's look at this objectively so that way we can debunk it it's more a matter of let's just look at this objectively and ascertain what 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 it is that we're looking at and when you do that and then also allow for the story to unfold before you man some some really cool stuff pops out because you look at the idea and the reality that these are real people, that this was all real, that Jesus actually existed, all of those kinds of things, that we're talking about actual flesh and blood people, and we're talking about actual things that were said by actual people many, many years before the fulfillment walked the earth. And that we have outlined for us what all of that looks like, right? If we are willing to take the time and and really allow for scripture to wash over us, we get a pretty remarkable picture painted for us. I've mentioned uh, uh, Isaiah before, Jeremiah also. Jeremiah is another prophet that speaks a lot about the coming king. We saw it referenced and reflected at verse 18. Um, So just another note that adds to, if you're looking to 
see the multiple angles of this, I absolutely suggest checking those books out. So we have here the the aftermath of the birth of Jesus and the wise men and the star and all of that. And again, tons of different takes and tons of different points to be raised and so on and so forth. But we're getting a picture of what happened with Jesus and the events that had to take place in order to fulfill prophecy. And that's what we're seeing the picture being painted that this, this is the Messiah. This is the coming King. And we are seeing what has to take place as the story is beginning to unfold here. And so for this, the first step in this journey through Matthew, we, we hit pause at the point where we are unpacking where Jesus comes from, Jesus's lineage, and the fact that God is starting to answer promises. God is holding true to his word. And we are starting to see the execution of that unfold. And what that looks like. And why God's word matters. I don't just mean, hey, read your Bible. Yeah, hey, read your Bible. But the things God says, the things God does, we're talking centuries prior. All of that matters, and we're seeing that unfold in a very specific kind of way at this point here and now. And we'll continue to see that as this unfolds and things continue to go on. So with that, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you for this time in your word. Father, I pray that this, this helps to show people that your word is accessible and that you meet us where we are in your word. Father, I pray for the people that are walking through this book with me, that we walk through this together in the spirit in that we, you meet us here, meet your people here. We, we we ask that that you make us sensitive to your spirit as we continue to unpack what all of this looks like in the context of the kingdom. And that it's that that this serves as a means for people to understand that life with you, Father, is every day. It's 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 immersive and it's experiential and all of those things. And I, I thank you for that. I pray that that never gets old, that that never loses the shine and the wonder and the majesty that it should have. Father, I thank you. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Until next week, we'll see you soon. Peace.